1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Broadway Breakdown. Uh, Before we begin, a quick note about this episode. This is the first episode I've recorded since March where I had another person in the room with me while recording. And I do not have any of my usual recording equipment for this, so I may do with what I had. I'm not a sound engineer, so it turns out it wasn't the best. Uh, My mom and I tried to record again, and it was better Her audio comes out super clear, mine goes in and out of being warped though, who knows why, I have not ruled out Sabotage, but if that's something that's really going to affect your enjoyment of the episode, I'm sorry, there's nothing I could do about it. Otherwise, if you don't think it'll be a problem, just, you know, have this warning and then enjoy the rest of the episode and enjoy better sound quality in the future and in 2021. Uh, Alright, enjoy guys, thanks, bye. Hey, you ready? Ready. (laughs) Hello, everyone out there in the Broadway, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stratosphere, and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown. I am Matt Koblik. With me today is my idol, my dream, my mother, my mommy. Miss Danny Jackson How are you, Mommy?
0: I am great, Matt. Thank <laughs> you for asking. <laughs> You're
1: welcome. Uh, full disclosure, guys, this episode has had technical problems with the wazoo. It would not be an episode of The Breakdown without something like this gone down. So, we'll see how this turns out. It's a few hours since we've recorded. We both have, a, have had a little bit of wine, and our brains are a little scrambled from watching the first episode of The Undoing. So, we'll see how this goes. Uh, hello, Mother.
0: Hello, sweethearts.
1: Sorry, that was a long tangent. Uh, Today, what are we discussing today? What's our main topic today?
0: We're discussing the prom.
1: The prom, the movie musical on Netflix and the stage musical that once was and always will be. Uh, Before we get there, though, uh, I posted on Instagram that you were coming to this uh, podcast and asked the people asking you some questions about me to see what people uh, were interested in and you know, wanted to hear from the perspective of the woman who made me, because when you think about it, you made me. (laughs) I grew inside of you and now I'm sitting in front of you. Isn't that weird?
0: It is very weird.
1: That wine is kicking in. All right, so our first question is, what kind of child was Matt?
0: Very easy. He was stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) So stubborn. Still true. Yes, if something didn't go according to his plan in his head, there was I mean it was almost like an arm wrestle to get him into the car.
1: I don't even know what my plan was. I think I just I just resist whatever yeah, possible. Resist, <laughs> exactly. That's the only word you have for me, stubborn.
0: You're talking about when you were as a child. Yeah, as a yeah, child. The child. Oh, you were very creative. Mm-hmm. You um, Ruby red slippers. Yes, you red danced socks, a lot. Red socks, danced
1: a lot. Red slippers over the blue socks um, with my giant Jumanji t-shirt. I was, yeah. yeah.
0: And you became musical very young. Mm-hmm. We took you to Beauty and the Beast on ice when you were about two and a half. And we didn't think you'd be able to make it through like any of it. And you sat there wrapped for what? Two hours or something. I guess
1: you guys took me to see Les Miz when I was five.
0: Yeah, yeah possible yeah well you 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 let us know early that you had this interest
1: yeah well and you guys were good at letting me have it which i appreciate i mean you know you give and you take you let me rent the red shoes and mikhail for the nutcracker every week but in return i had to play little league well <laughs> well rounded well rounded
0: let's talk the outfield <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I'm picking daisies oh this is a new one since we recorded the first time. Uh, Oh, also, if you're asking yourself, why are you guys being surprised by these questions? Didn't you record this before? I cannot stress enough how long ago in the day we first recorded this and how much wine I have had. (laughs) So some of this is really brand new all over again. Okay, new question. Uh, Matt says he was shy as a kid. When did that end and why?
0: Hmm. Um...
1: I think that's fair.
0: It is. It is. I, I. think. Well, you know, there. There was. Um, there's a difference between shy and bashful, which you were very, very young, mm-hmm. and then it kind of grew into just kind of um, antisocial, maybe. Right. <laughs> and still true. Uh, yeah. And and maybe at Emerson, or or high school, you develop more of a voice, but you still didn't like to stake your ground.
1: I think Stage Door helped a lot in terms of being a little more vocal, but I don't think I owned my opinions until probably right before I left for college. Yeah, I, yeah Stage Door was very good about letting me come out of my shell and taking up some space, but I, it definitely was probably my last summer at Stage Door when I was like, I am a human being with opinions.
0: Yes, but I guess it was the first time you were totally in your element. It wasn't like neighborhood, you know, kitty theater Yeah. you were among people who are serious and you were in your element and you could speak the same language as all these people some of
1: whom were smarter than i was and i learned a lot during that time at stage door uh does matt have any weird living habits uh yeah i was
0: gonna say maybe i'm just gonna push pass on this one (laughs) (laughs) because we've been living in such great harmony that i really hate to disrupt it if anything it's just like a little idiosyncrasy it's not it's not a big deal no
1: my mother and i both are ocd about very specific things and in our what is now officially our third time living together because you know there was youth (laughs) and then there was a two-year period after i graduated college when i moved into this apartment with you and then this is my third time uh, Covid times, and this time around, we have been more easygoing. We are vocal about the things that we need, but if it's something that's not important, we don't. We let it go. Which... Well, we're
0: much more mutually respectful, and and yeah. you're a, you're a man now, right? You're not a kid. How dare you? I know you don't like that, but you you have matured in many ways, you know. And I've lightened up, so we meet in the middle somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I appreciate all of that. Um what's something about Matt that might surprise people?
0: Mm-hmm. Here we go. Everybody know Matt. Every, I think everybody knows Matt as being really frank and honest <laughs> and candid. And well, let's say blunt. Um, Emily Blunt, yes. He lied like an MF when he was a kid. He lied and lied and lied. And it, it, it just was, it, it was futile. It was just futile.
1: I mean, I was just preparing to become president of the United States one yeah, day. Yeah,
0: yeah. I finally said to you one time when you maybe were in middle school or going into high school, I said, Matt, you have to tell me the truth because sometime you're going to be in trouble and I need to know that you're telling me the truth.
1: Mm-hmm. I do remember that. I don't remember where or when, but I remember those words.
0: Did it have any kind of impact?
1: In fact, I probably say I'm too honest now. <laughs> I, I have many a theater friend who would come up to you and say, you've created a monster. Mm. Because they'll say, did you like the show? And I will say, I am so proud of you.
0: I'm, I'm very respectful of your voice though. I think, you know, I, I um, wish that I could have the same certainty that you do sometimes. And you are very clear. I think you're getting better about couching it in nicer ways. Yeah um but you're very clear about what you feel and what you want to say and you you. can defend yourself pretty well
1: anything else that might surprise
0: people about me um
1: nicer things in the first recording i'm 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 not liking the second recording
0: no 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 i mean he's he's what's surprising at you people probably know you really well at this point matthew is very kind and and is a very caring person he's been great with me i've been um, sick for a little while and, and very well managed now, but he has been terrific and selfless and generous. Um, and he is very generous. That's a that's a wonderful trait. He is very generous. Thank you.
1: Uh, okay, so this was actually asked by a couple of people and Lord knows if you actually know the answer to it, but what was Matt's first word?
0: That's really a... a- tough one um because he didn't speak till he was about three so
1: (laughs) the age varies in (laughs) family lore i was three i was nine that's actually something that might surprise people that i didn't speak for so long
0: yeah we were all concerned for a while but you you know we had you checked out everything was fine but then when you did speak it was so interesting because you would invert uh parts of the sentence like the syntax would be weird and sometimes you get idioms wrong and so that was what i would correct give me an explanation Oh,
1: I don't know. How dare you not remember something from 28 years ago?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I can barely remember. Yeah. I do remember when you were born. We don't remember this afternoon's podcast. No, no. I do remember when you were born. So that's good.
1: (laughs) You remember the pain. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I also want to say, you know, what um, privilege for a parent to think just because they left the room, their child never spoke. So when parents, when parents say my kid's first word, I'm like, oh, is that what you think? Oh, I
0: know what your first word probably was. What? Ouch, from Laura beating up by all the time.
1: My sister, Laura. No, that implies that she acknowledged my presence.
0: Oh, that's she, true. She
1: just did not. I was invisible to that girl for like six years. Uh, to be fair, I didn't bring much to the table in those years. Well, you were
0: a good eater back then. So maybe you said like <laughs> more food or something. More. Drumstick.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well- that was my word for Little Mermaid when I wanted to watch Little Mermaid which in retrospect does not sound great it sounds like I'm full Patty Duke
0: you know you shot yourself in the foot because you wanted to watch that stuff and yet you put a toothbrush in the VCR
1: I'm oh okay (laughs) so okay we're laying it all out now what's that story Madre
0: I, I don't know, but you was this were in the same well, house.
1: Well, no, this was our, my first childhood house. This was in Franklin Lakes, yes. And I was taught how to work the VCR. Because, you know, you teach your children the ABCs and you teach them how to work the VCR, those things. And my assumption is my, in my creative little three-year-old brain, I thought, oh, this thing, just you put something in here, it shows something on the screen. I don't think I made the connection of videotapes. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm just going off of 27 years ago. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes yeah, yeah. of three-year-old yeah, it's Matt. It's possible. And I, as you said, I was a very creative
0: child. You were very.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Still am to an extent. I Are swear sorry. I did not come up with this question. Someone actually asked this one. What's the thing about Matt you're most proud of?
0: Well, I sort of covered it a little bit before, but... Um, Say it again. I okay. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm very proud of his talent, and I think that he has there's so much untapped in him. It's just, it's all swimming. As my sister once said, there's a party going on up there. Uh So many thoughts, so much creativity, very, very, um, proud of that. But as a human being, I'm, I'm very proud of him. He, um, as I said, is compassionate and cares about his friends and goes the extra mile living with me now. He hasn't complained. He doesn't complain. It's always sure. He's great. Uh, I, th- I think he's a great citizen of the world. He is a caring person, wants to take care of people less fortunate than himself. And I think that's how I would say that I am very proud of you as a citizen of the world. you going to cry? No, oh, I'm okay. not going to
1: cry. i say thanks, babe. I like you too. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Would you also say um, it would surprise people just
0: how an amazing singer I am? Just. I said, you're very talented and <laughs> I love your dancing too. So yes. there you have it.
1: Yes, I danced a lot as a little kid. You could not tell me when I was six years old that I was not Moira Shearer in the Red Shoes. I would dance that 15 minute ballet all the damn time. I really had, had and still kind of have an affinity for redheads now that I think about it. Huh. Ariel in The Little Mermaid, Moira Shearer in the Red Shoes. There you I go. love me some Emma Stone. Uh, I mean, Judy Garland and Wizard of Oz, kinda. She had Deborah sort of- Messing. Debra messing yes we love Deborah messing i yeah i just i like a good redhead there it's you fun. go it's fun ha. there you go so that's that's where we're at today everybody uh if you want to be that woman that turns me chances are you're gonna be a redhead
0: <laughs> Billy, I beg to with you. how do you mean
1: which leads us to our main topic, (laughs) the prom. So full disclosure, my mother and I, since Thanksgiving, have been watching a holiday movie every night during dinner, with the exception of one night where we watched *Avida* for research purposes for a YouTube channel that I'll be starting in 2021, where I will be doing video essays on theater and the like. So plays, musicals, movie musicals, adapted such and such so the first one's going to be about evita and the movie and why madonna's bad but it's not her fault that's to say we've watched a whole bunch we have watched now four musicals including the prom evita and christmas on the square and jingle jangle yes yes so before we get into absolutely everything what is the prom about mother take the floor
0: The Prom is about, first, there are two two tracks that they Mm -hmm. intersect. The first is some um, recently unsuccessful Broadway actors Mm -hmm. um, who are a little bit down on their luck. Their show just closed on opening night, and they are looking for a cause to try to build up some publicity for themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so put a pin in that. The other part is there's a story about a, a young high school girl who is a lesbian who only wants to bring her girlfriend to the prom. And um, I wish I could say hilarity ensues, but it's it's a very difficult process because mm. um, it's in the Midwest and the town folk are not all that pleased about that prospect at the prom sure
1: which is how the broadway actors come to her town she becomes their cause the
0: cause celeb yes, yes.
1: <laughs> i just thought what a great burn for like a for a review if if you didn't like the movie or something to say and i wish i could say hilarity ensues <laughs> yes so It is definitely two wildly different styles that merge in this movie and did so on stage as well. You have sort of offbeat, campy humor with the Broadway actors who are very into themselves and are very much a fish out of water. And then you have a much more earnest, introspective story with Emma, the teenage girl, and her girlfriend Alyssa, and everything that ensues with the PTA and the student body. And it is a musical. Lots of production numbers, lots of big movie stars. We got ourselves Meryl Streep, James Corden, Nicole Kidman, Andrew Rannells, Kerry Washington, Keegan-Michael Key. in his second musical this year, we saw him in Jingle Jangle. And yeah, and then some lovely cameos from Mary Kay Place, Tracy Ullman. We're going to put a pin in Tracy Ullman, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah, are. Yes, we'll come <laughs> back to her. So a little bit of background history on The Prom. The stage musical of which it is adapted from was written by Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh.
0: Buk- the stage musical from which it was adapted. You didn't say it that way. I'm just. I don't correcting. care what I,
1: I don't care what I said. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. I don't, Fine. Need, I don't need to talk good English. My emotions run through. That's the beauty of music. I know.
0: I was just giving a uh, real-time demonstration of what you said before.
1: Thank you. Ever so.
0: No, no problem.
1: You should go on Reddit because you are the internet police. Anywho book by Chad Wellen and Bob Martin. Bob Martin is probably best known for writing the book for the drowsy chaperone and starring as the man in chair. Uh, from a an idea from Jack Vertel, I think is how you say his name, former artistic director of Encores. Apparently the whole lesbian wanting to take her girlfriend to the prom and getting shut down thing was real. And I guess it was Jack Vertel's idea to be like, what if some Broadway celebrities came in and like tried to save the day? The score was by Chad McQuillan and Matthew Sklar directed and choreographed by Casey Nicola. Casey Nicola went on to do the choreography for the movie, which was directed by Ryan Murphy. We will come to him later. This was for Netflix. So basically Ryan Murphy has this $300 million development deal with Netflix. And it's what brought us Hollywood this year. And Ryan Murphy went to go see the stage version of the prom, fell in love with it, got a green light within like a week by getting Meryl Streep and James Corden on board and Nicole Kidman and this had a very quick turnaround Uh, usually in the the good old days stage musicals if they were successful would get turned into a movie within like five to ten years of their uh, opening and then by like the 80s and 90s was more like 15 to 20 this was like a two-year development which is very fast so good on them Uh, the movie, as I said, has all those wonderful stage actors. The stage show had Beth Lovell, Brooke Sashmancius, Angie Schwor, Chris Sieber, Courtney Collins, Caitlin Kinnanen, Isabel McCalla. Remember those names. I'll be bringing them up later. Uh, so yeah, mom, you knew nothing about this before we watched it. Yes. Right. You had never seen it on the stage. No. I saw it on the stage. I saw it with my, at the time, 95 year old grandmother. What are your immediate thoughts? What did you think?
0: I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was um, much higher quality than it that it might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, Netflix has money, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know there was a lot that was um, humorous, and, but and sort of stereotypical. But by the end, it was a really sort of feel good kind of a conclusion. It was a nice holiday thing to watch during the holidays, you know.
1: Yeah, and especially during this time when during we're this not year, really yeah. getting theater at all and it's been a tough year and this is sort of a nice way to close it all out um yeah what were some things that stood out most for you we'll get to my opinions in a minute because oh you know i have them kids (laughs) but what were some things that stood out for you uh Good, good things that stood out for you and then maybe some things that you may- might've taken a note on.
0: Well, there's sort of different tiers about this. You know, f- tier one is Meryl Streep who mm-hmm. just blew the roof off. She was just amazing.
1: Ding dong.
0: Right, fantastic <laughs> big set of pipes, very game. It was, you know, a kind of quirky character. Uh Um, She looked great. And, uh, you know, it was, I thought she was great. She
1: was a redhead in this one. She
0: was redhead. Yeah. And the rest of the cast was great too. I mean, I did like James Corden. I know there's, there's some controversy about that. We'll get to that. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I know, but I did. um, And, and part of the um, affect that, that happens is because of the sort of, um set design and the and the lighting which were just really interesting and kind of kept you in the here and now right it was Mm -hmm. it was just it was a very kind of modern feel and and a little playful Also,
1: for me color palette and the lighting was both a good and a bad and i'll get to that in a minute uh anything that maybe stuck out to you not so not so bueno um
0: yeah (laughs) Go for it. Well, there are two things. One, I think the ending, while delightful and happy making, felt a little bit like a stretch. Mm-hmm. And I won't give it away if you don't want to. You can do right. it if you want to. Yeah, we'll leave it, I'll
1: give it away when we get to my notes because that goes into my thing. Oh, okay. Uh, and I know guys, we're talking about this, like we haven't already discussed it, but I guarantee you my mom has forgotten half the things I said last time. Absolutely. Mostly be- mostly because I just, I kept talking. <laughs> um, so hopefully I'll be a little more concise.
0: Oh, this is fresher, this is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you. Go. The other was um, dress rehearsal.
1: Yes, well, so that's a line I and from the prom that I guess is a big fat lie, life's no dress rehearsal. One yeah, right? thing's universal, life's no dress rehearsal. Bitch, sometimes there is one. <laughs>
0: Okay. Um James Corden plays um, Oh no, I, no thought it, I, I thought you were
1: gonna talk about
0: which Yes, well that's where it was going Oh that's that. where it was going? Yeah. Oh,
1: sorry. So there... I took my hand and I waved it around my head, hoping my mom would understand what I was talking about. She knew exactly what I was talking oh, about. Great. Right, so go I thought you were gonna talk about the James Corden casting. No, you're no,
0: talking about No, 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 yeah, no, 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 Go, 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 go. sorry, okay. sorry. So, um... James, uh, James Corden has been sort of um, distanced from estranged from his mother. And um, someone makes a- bold Why?
1: Name. Why is he estranged from her?
0: Oh, because when he came out as gay, she couldn't handle it and the mm-hmm. father couldn't handle it. And whereas they didn't exactly kick him out of the house, he left before they could. And there had been years of no contact at all. Yes.
1: Darian Lake described, with her experience on season six of Drag Race, it was more of an invitation to leave.
0: Yeah, but- I guess that's right yeah i guess that's right so um there is this uh magical uh they find her and the the, the broadway actors bring mom mm-hmm. to to the set setting and not set, setting and i'm an idiot because i didn't realize it was tracy omen but it makes complete sense because I thought she looked ridiculous. Everybody else looked great. She looked ridiculous. And what I said to Matt after we saw it was that she looked like Dana Carvey's church lady. And then when I found out it was Tracy Ullman, well, of course, it it looks like Tracy Ullman Mm -hmm. in a getup. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't look like an old lady.
1: Yes. And then you said something to me tonight after we finished The Undoing that I want you to say here. What? About Estelle
0: oh oh yeah it yeah, was the
1: question you so, had
0: yeah no i said well how come they could make estelle getty look aged appropriately in the cartoon world that mm-hmm. you know that is uh, the Golden sitcom Girl world yeah is, right um they could make her look reasonable but tracy omen looked like a gag i mean to me she looked like a gag she looked like church lady
1: oh you meant a gag like uh like a spoof i was yes. thinking more like oh my god i'm gagging uh no it's yeah no you're right it, The scenes that she had with James Corden, I thought Tracy Ullman did a very lovely job, but it was distracting because her makeup and hair was just so, it took me very much out of it. It did. And I, Tracy Ullman has always been known for her sort of shape-shifting abilities. So it wasn't anything she did. It was just, it was really just how she was made up. It looked very much like a sketch.
0: Yeah, it did. That's why I said, it looked yeah. like SNL, but, yes. you know, it sort of didn't belong there. You get mm-hmm. this emotional pitch and then you get distracted. It's yeah. It's very weird.
1: Yeah. And so why do you think I waved my hand around my head? What was that indicating? Wig. Yep, yeah, her wig. <laughs> That's a wig, bitch. That's a man, Maury. So... Those were your two big uh, bad takeaways. And then you gave us some good, you said Meryl. um, Anything else that really stood out for you about the cast? Any any Um, songs particularly liked?
0: I really enjoyed the whole thing. I am not as familiar with it, so my retention isn't that great. Mm -hmm. But it all sounded good. Nothing sounded dinky about the the score or anything like that. Um, Let's give the people some context.
1: What are some of your favorite musicals? So they know where you're coming from when you say all this.
0: Well, as Matthew already said, I have no memory. So I will just go with the ones that I found iconic. Um, Well, I'm partial to Fiddler on the Roof because it was sort of uh, in the family in a way. And so that was maybe the first big thing that I saw. Well, we
1: can say uh, your father represented and was very close with jerry bach composer of fiddler yeah, on the Roof. from
0: their teenage years yeah, for
1: many many years uh papasan was the executor of jerry's estate for a long time yeah and yeah. he was his
0: attorney he mm-hmm. represented him in all matters business and personal mm-hmm. so that was and i think we went to the opening so that was like a big deal yes that was a big deal um and then when i saw Lame Is, i i it just captivated me I, I think i saw it four or five times maybe six i'm not sure you took
1: my gay ass in 1995
0: i did um i thought it was amazing and it was before they sped it up i think i stopped liking it when they sped it up and cut it
1: they made some trims i think some of the the increased tempos are okay but it it definitely got to a point it's at a point now where it's like on cocaine Mm. but because i mean if you listen to some of the tempos from london with when like patty lapone did the barbican it's like she like lovely ladies is like a funeral dirt it's like it's like speed speed this shit up We have a train to catch
0: right but i did think that that was like something that i'd never seen before right the way it was um staged and the music was amazing and everything i just loved it and then the next big iconic thing for me was hamilton because um not only was i moved by the story and by the music and by the casting and all of that i was just really moved by the fact that it represented a paradigm shift for Hmm. me to see a musical like that and uh, matthew knows me as a crier i mean you know Avita, notwithstanding i yes, no, a crier you've,
1: you've cried at absolutely every single one of the holiday films every you've watched. stupid
0: holiday movie
1: princess switch princess switch switched again Christmas Prince 1 through 3 like like goddamn clockwork it is beautiful to behold I <laughs> just Yeah, uh, let's get into my opinions now. It's going to be a hot 35 minutes. Please
0: tell us what you think. (gasps) Compose yourself.
1: (laughs) Wow, guys, my mom is vicious. And you wonder where I get it from. And just so you know, my dad equally is vicious. So my thoughts on the prom. As I said, I saw it on stage. I really liked it on stage. I thought it was very clever. I had, there are things that didn't always work for me. You know, there's a song in Act 2 called Love Thy Neighbor that when I saw it in the theater, I thought, you know, cute song, it doesn't really get me because the whole point is how one of the four Broadway actors, Trent, played by Andrew Reynolds in the movie, Chris Sieber in the show, talks to the, at that point, close-minded kids of the school who... For the entire time, had been bullying Emma in a very calculated, if rather toothless way, if I do say so myself. <laughs> the bullies in the prom, both stage and movie, the things they do are very smart and take a lot of planning, but they're not really vicious a lot of the times. Like um when Emma opens her locker in the movie and there are two teddy bears scissoring, and that's supposed to be like bullying.
0: You know, when they were more ignorant than mean. Yeah, no, a so Closed-Minded.
1: Yeah. Um, and when, I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, so the, the Closed-Minded Kids, the straighties, Trent sings Love Thy Neighbor, and it's all about the hypocrisy that people have when they pick and choose with the Bible, which, like, we know, we're all aware, and the people that we say that about and say it to are aware that that's what we think. And it, ha- as of yet, has yet to really change anyone's mind. And it's just one of those songs where, like, The the idea behind it has been said before, so to have it change all of these kids so suddenly always has rubbed me the wrong way. It rubbed me even more the wrong way in the movie, for reasons I'll get to in a second.
0: Um, Although it was kind of timely. Sure,
1: sure. Love thy neighbor. You know, we need to hear that more than ever.
0: And (laughs) And the hypocrisy, too.
1: Hypocrisy is the name of the game in 2020. Right. Trust and believe. That said, there's a lot about the movie that I really did enjoy. First of all, I think the casting overall is really exceptional. My biggest issue with the movie comes down to Ryan Murphy as a director and as a creator. Uh, the good news is that he did not write The Prom, and that is the best thing I can say about him. You know, The Prom, the movie has fortified for me that it is a very good stage musical. I thought so at the time it was a divisive musical, There are people who found it to be amateur and campy. I thought it was really inventive and delightful. I feel like the movie has um, certified that for me. There there are some changes. I am not one of those queens who's like, "Mm, they cut a verse, mm, they changed a word. I don't care about that shit. It's all about adapting something for the screen and also understanding what made the original source material work to begin with. For example, Oliver... I cite it all the time, I think it's the best movie adaptation of a stage musical ever. That show has six songs cut out of it for its movie adaptation. They move stuff around, but the dramatization of oompa loompa is a masterclass in adaptation. Look it up. It's fantastic. That said, with The Prom, it is relatively faithful. There were two major changes that happened, and they're both towards the end, and we talked about it. I'll talk about it again. One. so. Barry Glickman, played by James Corden, is an out gay actor. More on that later. One of the themes of the movie and the show is how these four narcissistic actors think they're doing such good things and end up doing a lot more damage than good for the first 70% of the story. And everyone has their own damage that leads them to this moment, you find out Meryl Streep has her damage. James Corden's damage is that he also was a gay teen whose parents did not accept him and he left and has sort of turned his back on them forever. In the stage show, it remains as such. He doesn't have any closure with his family. His mom is not a character in the stage show. And what I liked about that was not everyone's going to get closure with their parents. And to be fair, Emma doesn't have any closure with her parents in the stage show or the movie, so I appreciated that they kept that. But it was a nice thing to think about because it tells kids, you know, you're not gonna always get the response you want from the people you love when it comes to this moment in your life and you need to be ready for that. And you have to be ready to let them come to it on their own, but you also have to be ready for them to just not be there at all. It's heartbreaking, but it's a reality. So I liked that because you saw in this show Barry still kind of letting go of that damage and moving on from it. I thought that was really moving. And then the other thing is in the stage show, so Emma's girlfriend, Alyssa, played by Ariana DeBose in the film, her mother, played by Carrie Washington in the film, is the head of the PTA, the people who originally shut down the prom. And then when they are forced by was it the state attorney, something like that, to put it back up, and then they come up with that whole coup of having a separate prom and leaving Emma in her own little prom. In the movie, Ryan Murphy has directed Carrie Washington to be a stone-cold villain. No emotion, calculated the entire time. And when her daughter Alyssa finally comes out to her at the end of the movie, there's a scene right, befo- uh, right before the final, final prom happens, and it's a, it's a masterclass in how you can interpret a scene in two different ways and what one does. So as I said, in the movie, Carrie Washington, Stone Cold Villain. So when Alyssa, her daughter tells her, I'm gay. So uh, and her mom says, I don't want you to have a hard life. Alyssa says, it's already hard. She says, we'll talk about it tonight. Carrie Washington says it in a very shut downy kind of way. Like, I can't deal with this. We're going to talk about it tonight. And walks out and you think, oh God, gone for good. Four hours later, she comes back looking like the inspiration for the best drag performance you've ever seen and saying, I love you, you're my daughter, let's dance. In the stage show, that shit doesn't happen. She does not come back. However, the way that Courtney Collins, the actress who originated the role on Broadway, I want to say this again, because I said it like a year ago, shout out Courtney Collins, who gave such a wonderful performance in that role. When she said, we'll talk about it tonight, it was much more of a promising line delivery. Because up until that point, Courtney Collins did not play Mrs. Green as a villain. She played her as a woman. She played her as someone who truly believed what she was doing was the right thing and was dumbfounded with the hate she was getting from the outside world and thought it was some kind of conspiracy, just did not get it. And you saw this kind of messiness about her. This because at the end of the day, Mrs. Green is just a woman. You know, she's not a CEO or like someone in politics, she's a mother who's working on a piece, and all of a sudden the country's looking at her and she doesn't understand it. So when her daughter tells her, I'm gay, you see her have this sort of inner conflict. She lo- you can see she loves her daughter and she doesn't know what to do. And she- when she says, we'll talk about it tonight, it's a step. And I liked that in the stage show because it wasn't a neat little bow. It was, it showed us all different kinds of acceptance. You had characters who came and did a full 180, characters who were halfway there, characters who weren't there yet, but you could see they were going to. And I loved that because it showed the messiness in the gray area of life. The movie kind of obliterated that and just made it, everyone's done the 180, everyone's dancing. And part of me thinks that's Ryan Murphy being like, we changed the world. And part of me is Ryan Murphy going, Kerry Washington's gotta be in the finale. So let's find a way to get her in that finale. Tracy on the
0: she also had a little bit of, like, a ringleader feel to her, you know? It was, like, malintent or something.
1: Yeah. it's. I, re- I remember when she told – so when the whole, like, prom switcher, so there's a big twist – spoiler alert – where the PTA is forced to put up a prom. They have to give an all-inclusive prom. So as a loophole, they make one in the school gym – and then they make a second one that's secret and they don't tell Emma or the Broadway actors about it. And they have it at the Elks Lodge and that's where all the other kids are, including Alyssa. And so Emma's alone in the gym, stranded. And in the movie, when Carrie Washington tells her daughter, you know, oh, we did this thing. It's much more of a, mm-hmm, look at this amazing thing we did, like pats her hair. She's so proud. In the stage show, Courtney Collins said in a much more, not conflicted, but again, earnest way of like, well, we did what we were asked to do, and you know, I don't really agree with it. But you know, we we did it, so please leave us alone. We did it. We did it. Can we just move on now? And it kept you from hating her completely because while what she said and did in the show was still bad, you saw the human being there, and you could you almost want to be like, if you gave me like a, an hour alone with her. I could maybe talk to her. Whereas in the movie, you're like, I don't think I could talk to this bitch.
0: You know what she was? She was like a stick figure in a way. Yeah, it was
1: very two-dimensional, which honestly is Ryan Murphy's MO. Again, bringing it back to my biggest critique with the movie was Ryan Murphy as a director. I also didn't like the way he shot a lot of stuff. It was very busy camera work. And I get it. We live in you know a post-MTV world where it's quick cuts and whatnot. But it also kind of made some of the more heartfelt stuff less moving to me because yes the show and the movie do have big style conflicts they kind of combat all the time where you have you know Dee allen saying how unless i'm playing the miracle worker i will not play blind deaf and dumb and then you have Emma on her guitar singing into the internet about how her parents don't accept her and how she just wants to be her. And it's beautiful, but Ryan Murphy has the bed twirling around and has all these bright lights and multiple camera angles. And I'm like, just put the goddamn camera on Joe Ellen Pellman. She's good enough. Just let her do it. You know? Um, and again, you mentioned the color palette and the lighting. It was something that I liked and something that also bothered me much like you know when you're in a relationship with someone i like this about you but it also bothers the shit out of me i'm joking i've never been in a relationship Um.
0: (laughs) but he's available
1: Uh, Yep, everyone's knocking down my door uh so the first 40 minutes of the movie i guess like there's a lot of major lighting things going on during musical numbers lots of big bold greens and pinks and purples And they do one in the middle of the song, I Just Want to Dance With You, which takes place outdoors in the middle of the night. So for it to go from nighttime to bright blue and purple was very jarring, took me out of it. And I understand it's a musical. It's a movie, but it's also a musical. So you have this imbalance of it's a movie and it's a very unforgiving medium. So there needs to be some sort of realism, but it's also a musical. So we need to have heightened stakes and heightened emotions. So you stylize it a bit, totally down. Totally. However, sometimes the little things add up. So that way the ultimate effect is undermined a bit. So that was that for me.
0: Part of it was almost like a little bit of a, um, an inside joke or a, or a treasure hunt. I'm not sure which. It's like, once you start seeing that yellow, you start looking for it in every scene. And there it is. There were certain markers that went throughout that were just kind of weird signatures or something. I don't know what they were.
1: Uh, Yes, okay, so also full disclosure. Anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows I do not care for Ryan Murphy. I don't care for most of the projects he does. I am thrilled with the opportunities he provides for actors. He's given a platform for actors who maybe didn't have those platforms before. Trans actors, um, uh, BIPOC actors and actresses and uh, actresses of a certain age who maybe haven't found any more roles since you know, hitting 50 because that's how Hollywood do. I appreciate all that. I wish the material he gave them was usually better. Again, granted, he did not write the prom, but still that's his aesthetic. It's this sort of shallow veneer where the idea is there. It's a great idea and then the execution fucking sucks. Um, I gave gave Hollywood all of my time. You can attest to this. We watched it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't liking it and I kept through it. I thought maybe till the end. (laughs) I I was so angry at the end of it. I hated it so much because I have the audacity to say the system in Hollywood's not broken. We just need one white person in power to, you know, give opportunities to, you know, other people, and it'll all be fine. Make more movies about uh, black protagonists, and America will be less racist. And it's like ah, that is a very simplified answer for a very complicated issue. But as my dear friend Andrew, Andrew Melendez, been on the pod, you know him very well. I do. Yes, he said, and I loved it and I stole it, Ryan Murphy has benefited from the system working as it has. So he's not gonna come out and say that the system is broken in his work. He's going to project the narrative that's worked for him, which is that he is a white male in power who has provided many opportunities for people. So he's gonna continue writing those stories, which is fine to an extent, but don't necessarily say that's the ultimate answer. It's a step. That's all it is. It's a step. But he would have me believe it's the answer.
0: <laughs> Listen, you bigoted monsters, just who do you think you are? Your prejudice and your repression won't get past this Broadway star. Stealing the rights of a girl who is an LGBTQ teen. I've been far too angry to Google what those letters mean.
1: So let's get to an issue that has taken the internet by storm, which is that Mr. James Corden, Tony-winning actor, late-night talk show host, former cat, plays Barry Glickman. Barry Glickman is a gay character. James Corden is straight. Before we get into the drama, how how did you come to find his performance in the movie and you can be honest because you know how I felt so
0: I thought it was I thought it was good and I thought it felt genuine because yeah. honestly I have a hard time thinking of James Corden as straight I'm sorry <laughs> I, I'm just saying it you nothing know? wrong with
1: that uh do you know what did nanny say anything about his performance or did she just say she liked the movie
0: she liked the movie. I think, you know, Meryl, of course, Is there's Meryl and then yeah. there's everybody else. Well, it took Nanny
1: a long time to come to like Meryl Streep. Yeah. That's a famous story in our family. My mother's mother famously did not care for Meryl Streep in her heyday of Sophie's choice in French Lieutenant's Woman and whatnot. Although, to be fair, Meryl also doesn't think she was very good in the French Lieutenant's Woman. <laughs> so point one for Nanny.
0: It wasn't a good movie. So there It you wasn't go. a good
1: movie. It's a boring movie. She's fine, but it's a period film that no one understands. Anywho... No, I rather enjoyed James Corden as well. I thought he, the first five minutes were a little rough it was, it, because I was getting used to his performance. And also to be fair, I thought that as the movie continued, he sort of eased into it a bit more. As, as the road got bumpier for his character, his performance grew. There was a lot of love and a lot of energy and a lot of charisma. And when with some of the more dramatic scenes, I thought he did a really lovely job. He sang well
0: um well they were all a little over the top in the very beginning yeah
1: well, you know yes he was over the top so was Meryl Diva over the top yes both of them were yeah so have you read anything about like sort of the drama with, with him in the movie and sort of other
0: no but I know the broad strokes of the of the argument
1: yes which is
0: well, which is that it, with all the. Why would you have a, a cisgender male play. Heterosexual male. Heterosexual male, sorry. Um, play a gay person when there are so many gay actors who are always looking for parts. And why would you have to, mm-hmm. you know, do that?
1: Yes. I also. Listen, I know I'm a hater, guys. Just bear with me. The ire coming towards James Corden, I think, is not really warranted it should go to ryan murphy because if you're angry about james corden being cast he was ryan murphy's first choice so you ask yourself why was he ryan murphy's first choice what does that say about ryan murphy with that yes he has given a lot of opportunities to gay actors but this is another chance and he gave it to james corden i thought james corden did a lovely job uh the conversation is a lot trickier and has many more layers than people want to discuss people kind of just sort of want to say their Tweet and move along. They want to be quoted on BuzzFeed or whatever and become meme or whatever. I had a lot of people text me about this when it when the movie premiered last night, and I've continued to see stuff on the internet since then. And and I've responded to everyone, and I'm like, do you want to actually have this conversation, or do you just kind of want to say your two sentences and move on? Because if you want to say your two sentences, that's fine. But the conversation's longer than a lot of people want to have. Um. And I know we had it already this, this afternoon, mother, but buckle in, buckle um, up. What was it that Betty Davis said? Buckle your, uh, fasten your seatbelts. It's gonna be a bumpy night.
0: A bumpy ride, yeah, bumpy, yeah. Yeah, bumpy night. Bumpy night, oh, okay. Bumpy night, bumpy yeah. ride. Yeah, Same bumpy diff. night, probably.
1: You, listen, you have that bumpy ride during a bumpy night. <laughs> Ugh, Betty Davis, iconic. So let's go, for, I swear this isn't gonna go on for as long as you think it is, but let me start with the phrase. Let's look at the history of gay characters in media and actors playing them. So we, there are gay characters on stage, going back to Danny Kaye and Lady in the Dark, but it was always implication. I would argue the first works commercially speaking, anyway, to have like openly gay characters started in the late '60s with Hair and the Boys in the Band, and then progressed into the '70s with a chorus line, and then into the '80s with Lacage and going into the 90s with rent and more movies and whatnot we don't really see any movies with gay characters again none that are very prominent a the character isn't prominent and the movie didn't have a prominent stance in society until really like probably the late 70s and you know we're looking at things like al pacino in cruising where he's looking for a killer in an S&M, gay S&M bar. So, you know, how's that for representation? Um, or, you know, you have the sassy Bloomingdale's associate who's hitting on Richard Gere and making him uncomfortable and, oh, isn't that funny? Or the the guy who's so... One of my favorite, and when I say favorite, I mean these favorite visual gags in movies in the 90s were when a character seems so straight and so, you know, tight, uh, tightened up and then they would like show one little flourish that made you go, "Oh, they're gay!" And they would like give you a little wink of like, "Mm-hmm, now we know." So it'd be like you know something on their shoes, or they had like a ring on the on the wrong finger, like there was an earring, and it was like, "Mm-hmm, now we know." That should always kind of bug me because that's actually making a joke with the fact that someone is gay, and it's not a joke. I mean, the way some people live their lives is a joke, but, um. So that's sort of where we're at. And then we go into the 90s and up until that point, also playing gay was considered sort of career suicide. You know, you don't play gay unless you want uh, to only play gay for the rest of your life. So a lot of actors never did it. That all kind of really changed in the early 90s, especially with Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, where he won the Oscar. And then the narrative switched to, oh, that's Oscar bait. You're playing a gay character. Gay characters are... Dying of AIDS and Angels in America and Love, Valor, Compassion in Philadelphia. And so how wonderful you get to play a role so different from you because you're as straight as it comes. You're playing gay and you are dying of AIDS. Isn't that brave of you? Oscar, here you go. And then the narrative has switched because now we're starting to see more openly gay actors find prominence in the industry. And there are way more gay storylines than there were. Still not enough, but we're getting there. And once again, the community has more things to complain about. This story doesn't represent my journey. That I don't know anyone like that. That's a stereotype. This straight actor is playing this role. To which I say, yes. Also, you know, I've said it before. The answer to having a queer story represent you is having just more queer stories, right? Movies have been around since the 1910s, 1920s, and think about all the storylines that straight people have gotten in that time like you don't see you don't see any straight man going well that doesn't represent me because they've had 90 years of movies to go off of that have represented them when it comes to prominent mainstream movies we really didn't start seeing them until the late 80s for the gay community or the queer community and not like more readily until like the last 10 years like we are past cuba gooding jr in boat trip we are past adam Sandler and i now pronounce you chuck and larry like we've moved on past that that's huge that is huge we must remember that we must remember where we came from uh so i understand the what's the word i'm looking for the i understand people's frustration Mm. their indignation Mm, good that's a word that i can apply to this yeah 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 why not (laughs) I'm bad at words sometimes. I understand people's indignation. Do I think it should all be directed towards James Corden? Not necessarily. I think that's rather low-hanging fruit, so to speak. You know, it's an easy shot to take, and people can really find grist for the mill. I will also say, this is, I'm not going to make a tangent out of this, but it's just something I've been seeing, and I need need white gays to shut it down now, do not say a straight actor playing a gay role is equivalent to blackface or, you know, a a white actor portraying a a different ethnicity. It could not be more different. And saying as such is showing your ignorance. I don't have the time to explain why it's not the same thing as blackface. First of all, I am not the authority on the history of that. And... I'm not the person who... It's not my place to talk about it. I will just say, research it, look it up, educate yourself. Not you, Mama, but, you know, the world. Yes, just stop saying that, people. It's not the same thing. Uh,
0: <sighs> and does every story have to apply to every person?
1: I mean, I think The Wizard of Oz applies to everybody. But no, I know exactly what you mean. No, it doesn't. That's the beauty of storytelling. It's multitude of of perspectives and journeys to go through. I mean, through. there's certain
0: identification, but mm-hmm. there's also growth that happens too. You get exposed to a different way of thinking or doing or acting or yeah. relating or something like that. Yeah. I mean, like, if, if you want to tell me that every single gay man is like every other single gay man, then, then it's not possible, right? So you can't no. have one story that represents all people.
1: Right. You can't have a story that represents all people, which is why I say have more stories. There's also nothing wrong with watching a journey that isn't your own. As you said, you learn from that. I So I don't think particularly in general, it's necessary to just have gay men play gay roles. And I think that's limiting in general. And there are so many occurrences where actors learn something from playing somebody so different from them a famous instance with the prom exactly on stage caitlyn Kinnan and I know identified as straight when she played before she played Emma on Broadway and then during her journey of playing the role. came to realize that she's actually bisexual and would she have come to that conclusion without the prom maybe she definitely wouldn't have come to that conclusion at the time. Uh, So that's a beautiful thing to happen. And that can happen. And I'm not saying people will then eventually realize they're bi, but they can learn empathy and compassion. They can learn something about themselves. Also, sexuality is fluid. Dip your toes into them waters. Uh, You learn something new about yourself with every new experience that you have. And that's something to be said. That also said, the balance is such right now that gay actors are finding it hard to find work in general, because they're told, you're too gay, you're too this, we have to close this off, even in this time where it's way more accepting, it's still not 100%. So I understand that if gay actors are being denied a multitude of straight roles, give them the gay roles in the meantime, correct this imbalance until there's there's more of a shift. This is sort of what it needs to be right now. I respect that. And I understand that. Uh, when it comes to James Corden in the prom, this is also another tapping, a lot of words I saw were, um, mincing, prancing, stereotypical, because in the first couple of minutes, he was more effeminate. Barry is an effeminate role. Brooke Sashmask has played as such on Broadway. I will say similar to prior Walter in Angels in America, who was also a very effeminate gay character. I don't think a, a gay person has to play Pryor. I don't think a gay person has to play Barry. You can usually tell when a straight person plays them, even if they're good. There's something about the way it happens where you can tell it's not lived in their skin. You can tell when a straight person's playing Pryor because you know, you can tell that those battle scars aren't real. They are put upon. They are theatrical. Again, nothing wrong with it, but it does shift a bit the tone of the character. Did
0: you sense that with James Corden? yeah. I could tell that
1: it wasn't real, which it doesn't have to be necessarily, but, you know, the certain inflections that I didn't mind with Brooks because it, I could sense the fact that it was something that he could do and probably had done in the past, Something felt put upon with James Corden. And then made it, I don't say it made me offended. I was more offended by Andrew Garfield in Angels in America. And that, that dude won a Tony Award for it and has critical praise up the wazoo. And I remember sitting there going, why, you know? He talked like this the entire time. Lewis, you get Trooper of the Year. I said it before, but I'll say it again. I thought, okay, Marlena Dietrich. I don't think James Corden was nearly as bad as that. However, using words like prancing and, uh, prancing and mincing brings up another issue in the gay community, which is a sense of misogyny. Yes? Yeah misogyny in the world, misogyny in the gay community. There's nothing wrong with being effeminate and portraying a character as such. I understand the queer community having issues with it because that is how it's been presented. That's how gay men have been presented in mainstream media for a very long time. And only until recently have we started to see sort of other tones to that. That said, outside of movies and theater, There's still a great deal of shame in the queer community for effeminate men. Um, For men who are, we're gonna get graphic here, mama. There's a term called bottom shaming where the queer community makes jokes about men who are bottoms when they have sex um, because there's something degrading about taking on a
0: feminine role. Someone's gotta be the bottom. Well,
1: some people don't enjoy penetrative sex, so they they like sensuality, but in terms of that kind of sex, yeah, someone's got to be, and might as well be someone who enjoys it, right? It's sex, you're supposed to enjoy it, do the thing that you like. And with femininity, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I have my pants off right now, and I'm crossing my legs in front of you, and I say, and what? <laughs> Th- Listen, many a Thanksgiving has passed where family members have joked about my childhood love of Pretty Pretty Princess, of wearing ruby slippers while watching, the, uh, while watching Wizard of Oz, of wearing my sister's te- what I call it, her temple shoes, when watching, watching Singing in the Rain to make the tapping sounds, and I say, and what?
0: Well, this is my sort of bigger view, which is that I don't like silos of any kind and being typecast into a silo of any kind. And whether that's, you know, all, all different kinds of women, you know, there's the double bind with women that if they're too feminine, they're particularly in politics, you know, they're pushover or they're or in, in um business they're emotional and that's like negative negative if they're if they know their mind and they're and they're very forward and whatever they're bitches so there's a there's lots of ways to define all of these things and and the problem is when we try to make that lane too narrow for everybody yeah right so you know when you have people saying well you know i don't see my journey there or james corden shouldn't be doing it because it needs to be you know I don't want to make this bigger than it is, but um, I've always had trouble with this thing called a quota. And I understand why they why there are quotas, but they can backfire sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's not 100 to 0 on issues like that. So I think we're all learning also. Yeah. And so to, to come down so ironclad on certain things is um, not understanding that this is all part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. Am I getting too like weird?
1: No? I oh, think you're okay. just I think you're just weird enough. <laughs> you, you could get a little weirder for my taste. I wish I could tell that sad kid I was to stop crying. I, I interviewed Donald Webber Jr. once for Baking on Broadway and we talked about this. I don't know if we included it in the episode, but he said, when you cast a black Sid Sorokin, Sid Sorkin, uh, the main character in Pajama Game, he said, you ask yourself, what does that, how does that change the narrative of the story without even changing a word, making him black and the other men in the factory white in the 1950s? What does that do? Uh, it adds a sense of danger. There's a tension there because he's the outsider. And that's something that a creative team has to think about. What's the story you're trying to tell? And you cast the actors that are best for the role, yes. But you also ask yourself, is there something that this actor can bring with the journey they've come through life as either a black actor or actress, Asian, uh, female, male, trans, older, younger, larger, thinner. And how does that change things? That might be exciting to try new things. Uh, one of my favorite things is Nicholas Heitner when he was casting Carousel in London uh, before it came to Broadway, wanted to cast a black Mr. Snow and the Rogers and Hammerstein state originally said no and he's challenged them and he said, expand your goddamn horizons. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, uh, multiracial casting is such a norm now with revivals. We don't even think about it, but it was so bold at the time because his mind wasn't going, oh, I need one of this, one of this. He was like, I want to bring... New blood to this story, and I want to bring actors who haven't had the chance to do this before. It's going to bring a new energy to it. That's the right way to think about it.
0: And then on the other side, to bring it back to the prom.
1: Oh, is that what we're talking about? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I felt like there was something a little token about Kerry Washington in in, in that role. Mm-hmm. It it's it sort of stretches the imagination that a community that is so bigoted toward gays um gay people would also accept this toity black woman who's head of the pta it just it's incongruous yeah they'd be that sort of open-minded because in small town middle america it's a little different
1: truly anywhere i would say middle america is a little more transparent about its racism than in other places the yeah well so in the stage show her character was white Melissa was still Black, as was the principal, although I do know in Atlanta when the show tried out, it was an all-white cast, at least the principals were. Uh, yeah, yeah, That's. I think that's something that could have been brought to it by casting Carrie Washington was that mentality of, okay, well, is it possible that as a Black woman in this community, she has to kind of be a little more forceful in order to not have anything stick to her as a black woman you know it's it's that idea of you know make them cry before they make you cry mm. that kind of thing mm. but i didn't see any of that i didn't see any inner turmoil with her um but i also didn't really see any with ariana debose as alyssa as well right. And again i bring that to ryan murphy because i saw ariana debose in summer the donna summer musical where she was absolutely fantastic girl's a star and Alyssa's is a difficult role because she has a lot of pressure as a popular student is a straight A student, mom's on the PTA, and she is gay, and she wants to be open, but she doesn't know how, and she has all this anxiety. And uh, the girl on Broadway, Isabel Michaela, I think I'm saying her name correctly. I, I don't know. I apologize if I fucked it up. She showed a lot of that conflict and that anxiety in there, and you felt for her more, and it brought a better balance to the relationship with Emma. It felt more like like a relationship, whereas in the movie, it kind of felt a little... A little sexless, a little joyless, and it felt like Emma was sort of making all the all the strides to the point where we're like, "Why are you even bothering?" Your your girlfriend is sort of just sitting there going, "Okay." Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I want to say I know that's not Ariana. She, for, I don't know her at all, but from what I know about her, from friends who worked with her, she's a firecracker. She's opinionated. She's forceful. Seeing her on stage, she's a firecracker. She can. She'll bring it to the runway. Bring it. Bring it to the runway. So it's Ryan Murphy, really that made that and you ask yourself why what that's what's the narrative he's trying to tell with this that you know the people who are against Emma's story are cold and calculated and the people who let it happen are just passive like no there's inner turmoil these are still human beings it's hard to remember that sometimes because the internet
0: I think maybe she was just directed as you said always comes back back to that as very repressed. And it's it, it, you know the way she was dressed all the time was very conservative mm-hmm. and almost like schoolgirl in a way, even yeah. though she was in high school. It was know.
1: also a very chic town considering the fact that all they have is an Applebee's. Yeah, right. Yeah, like the part I remember they go to the motel, the four actors go to that motel or whatever, and the joke is like, oh, they're fleas, this place is a dump. And I'm sitting there going, that's a nice hotel or motel or whatever you want to call it, a nice inn. We were talking about James Corden and the gay performance and, the, and the, um, the controversy of it all. So I say in terms of job opportunities, let's correct the imbalance. And then once we do, let's allow people the chance to experience some time in our shoes in hopes that they might understand us, right?
0: I think that's very profound, um, very poignant.
1: I found the pros.
0: <laughs> yes. And and really applicable to so many things that are hot issues right now.
1: Yeah. And also keep in mind, this is my opinion. This is how I see it. Um, I'm sure there are people who are going to listen to this and be super upset and go, you don't understand. To which I say, great. Write me a five-star review on iTunes and explain to me why I'm wrong. As long as it's a five-star review, I, <laughs> need, I need that algorithm.
0: But, you know, the point is, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Let's just talk. That's,
1: the, that's sort of what the internet has killed. The internet has killed a conversation. You know?
0: Well, I've had it happen on LinkedIn where I, I posted a, a point of view on something and some dude starts just reaming me on there. And I was so angry and I was, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to write something back. And in the end, I just said, you know what? I can do better than this. And I wrote to him and I said, look, you know, I I, I hear what you're saying, um, but why don't we have a conversation about this offline? I'm, I'm happy to hear you out.
1: He, and he never responded. After no. That. No, because he just wanted to get out his toxicity. Right. I love that a man tried to do that to you. Nicole Byer does this really lovely thing that I like where people will, cause she's, she's a heavier black woman in comedy. And so people will go online and say things like you're fat, you're ugly, you're not funny. And she'll respond and go, well, I hope that made you feel better today. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will be like, you know what it did? I was having a really bad day and I took it out on you. I'm sorry. I still don't think you're funny, but I'm sorry. I said, <laughs> I'm sorry that I like, you know, trolled you. Uh, sometimes people just like need to get shit out. And to be fair, this has been a shitty year. We are still kind of reeling from the trauma of 2016. And a lot of good has come from that trauma, you know, with the Me Too movement, uh, the resurgence of Black Lives Matter, twice actually in the last four years. A lot of things, a lot of action. But we also have to remember like, I don't, you have to remember where your anchor's going because at the end of the day, it's still going to people. It's still being aimed at human beings who are just trying to help the world spin forward. You know, let me put it this way. James Corden is not the enemy. He is an ally who tried. And if you thought he misstepped, inform him as such and try to help educate him so he can help in the future. Don't try to turn him into the enemy. You know? I agree. We can't win the fight by... Um, prioritizing who we fight with someone wants to join the fight you say welcome And, and that's, that's all fun. I have to say on that so prom how many stars out of ten for you
0: out of 10 yeah mm, but they are different scales like enjoyability quality you know scale uh, so
1: ones to town how much did you enjoy watching it nine nine cool for you it's like a seven uh for you that's good you're very critical yeah well especially with movie musicals and queer storylines i will say movie musicals have had this wonderful (laughs) resurgence the problem is is that we don't have many directors who know how to make them so there's there's usually something i like in every movie musical uh jingle jangle though was my favorite one this year at the end of the day the prom is jingle jangle erasure what it is uh no i would say seven out of ten worth it for Merrill. i think the, again i think the cast is strong and i like the show so much i think the movie has proven that the show is good
0: yeah i agree
1: yeah uh so mom we've come to the end we're mm. concluding mm-hmm. where can people find you on the social medias
0: yeah well you know i'm i'm not so uh with it as many but i am certainly on facebook mm-hmm. i am do you want people
1: to find you on facebook
0: they can if they want, or they can okay. email me. I see I still do email. You guys yeah. don't do email. You can text me. <laughs> don't um, text my mom. Don't you, text.
1: You can check her out on Facebook, though. She's really pretty. You should see some of the photos she has on Facebook.
0: Ah, it's so sweet.
1: Don't see her right now, though. She's, she's not done up right now.
0: And for anybody who does LinkedIn, I sort of have developed a voice there. So you can yeah. see me at LinkedIn and Twitter. It's at Danny Tickton Coplick. Yes, my
1: mom has a Twitter. I do not. You can find me on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. Uh, Make sure to give us a nice little rating, five stars, with a review if you can. Again, if you disagree with me on the prom or anything that we discussed today, write so in the review section. Just make sure it comes with five stars. Uh, Mama, we close out with a little diva. Broadway, usually. Um, do you want to stick with your original choice from last time? Do you remember who yeah, you Yeah, Liza. Liza? Yeah. Great. All right. Well, guys, make sure to check out The prama Netflix. Uh, come to your own conclusions about it. If you liked it, that's amazing. If you needed it in this time, that's also amazing. I hope that it brings you all the things you need from it. In the meantime, this has been Broadway Breakdown. You will see me next week. And here's Miss Liza.
0: Uh, say bye, ma. Bye, but wait. What? I'm a stage mother. I just want to say stay tuned for that, that screen on Evita. Oh, Hang yes. on. Yes,
1: the YouTube Evita. The, the script is in development now. All right, yes. Uh, stay tuned for 2021 for that YouTube channel, guys. Bye. Bye.